I'm Xander Wilson, and welcome to another episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast. This podcast is about lessons learned in running a business, with a strong focus on startup founders and CEOs. It's all about finding out what gaps these disruptors have identified in the market, what they're doing differently to their competitors, and of course, to find out their silver bullet for business success. On today's episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast, I'm chatting with Peter Petroulis, founder and CEO of the world's first AI-powered intelligent restaurant booking system, WizButler. During the podcast, we chat about how technology is shaping the hospitality industry, the challenges of educating businesses on the benefit of your product, and why the best form of leadership is getting in the trenches alongside your employees. So Peter, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate your time. So Peter, for those who might not be familiar with WizButler, um, what is WizButler? Give us your elevator pitch. It's a restaurant booking system, unlike any other restaurant booking system, because while we take restaurant bookings and restaurant reservations, we do it in a completely different way in a completely different format, um, in which case we guarantee your optimization and we guarantee you will never reject a booking. Yeah, fantastic. And and go if you go right back to the start, how did the company get started? And I guess as part of that question too, um, where did the idea f- come from and what, what sort of gap in the market were you trying to solve with this? I became a restaurateur, if I can use the term, about 20 years ago. So I've sort of been in the restaurant industry for, for the last 20 years. And in the beginning, um, it was all telephone reservations, so therefore it was straight, straightforward. You had your, your telephone uh, reception team and they took the calls. Then as time went on, um, online booking systems started to uh, take hold and get traction in the marketplace, and customers obviously appreciated the convenience because they weren't limited to you know when your reception team was, was open to, to take calls. So calls could be made at midnight at 3 in the morning and it sort of didn't matter. Um, but then what we quickly found is that the booking systems were inefficient and a restaurant would get to 60, 65% full, except the booking systems thought it was 100% full. So all of a sudden then we're getting telephone calls from our customers saying, hey, I tried to book online because it was convenient to them, but I couldn't get in. Can you get me in? And we're looking at the our reservation system and we're only 60% full. And we're sort of scratching our heads saying, hey, this is not working for us because we got disgruntled customers um, and we're losing revenue. Yeah, and and you did mention, you know, it, it's completely different from other booking systems out there. That there, there are probably a few that, that people might be familiar with as well. How, how is it that, that we sort of got to this point where, where those inefficiencies existed and, and, were, and were you surprised that, that those did exist within, within the infrastructure that, that was available to you at the time? Look, I, I guess I wasn't surprised that they existed because the problem is complex. Um, because with a booking system, the question you have is how do I allocate a booking? Um, so if you've got 100 tables in there, then you go and allocate it to a table. But when you allocate it, you actually don't know what the next booking will be or the booking, after, booking request after that. So wherever you put a booking, it's going to be wrong because you don't have any future information. So it's that sort of conundrum of how do I solve a problem um, when I don't have the full information? And other booking systems and other people have tried to solve that for the last 20 years um, since OpenTable started the first booking system uh, without success. Um, And when I started this journey, I guess I wasn't sure I was going to have success either. 
Yeah, fair enough. And what role does artificial intelligence play in this? You know, obviously reading about a lot of the stuff you guys have been doing, um, it, it seems like it's a system that that's continuing to learn. And we we have seen artificial intelligence, I guess, really grow in popularity across a lot of uh, digital platforms. So, so for you guys, at what point did you go, we need artificial intelligence to help us here? And then how is it working exactly? Well, in our case, um, we're only at the beginnings of artificial intelligence um, because what we've done, by having a complete different structure and a completely different framework, a lot of it could be done uh, based on the framework and the approach. Um, and now that we're sort of getting that and getting more data and collecting more data, then obviously we, we, can, we can move into the next phase of it, which then starts bringing in yield management, uh, which is a completely new concept for restaurants. Um, which is sort of something they do with aviation and, and hospitality, where potentially, you know, if you want a better room that overlooks the harbour and it's got greater um, utility and ambience than a room that sort of faces the back of the, uh, the hotel and you sort of see the laneway, well, potentially you can bring that into restaurants as well because now you can differentiate your product because uh, through our system it knows which space within the restaurant has a better ambience and better utility versus another space which may be at the back of the restaurant next to the, the kitchen door. Um, and then the artificial intelligence can be brought in to start sort of potentially pricing the two, two tables differently or giving different priorities to the two tables. Um, and where I see the real benefit there for the customer is they can then start personalising their experience because it's no longer Russian roulette when you turn up at a restaurant, will I be given a good table and what will my experience be versus being given a bad table, uh, which which isn't um, the same experience? And if you take it, if it's a person's special birthday, anniversary, a very important business meeting, well, they're not risks you really want to take. Uh, or if you're travelling overseas and, you know, you, you want to have that special dinner seeing the Empire State Building, well, you really want to see the Empire State Building. You don't want to be um, sitting at the back of the restaurant next to the kitchen um, and your experience will be totally shattered. Yeah, and when you first started pitching this to, 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 to the market, what were the initial responses? Was it, was it a difficult sell for you guys? Were people um, you know, really responsive to getting on a system to sort of fix the initial issues? Or what, what was that experience like for you in the first instance? Well, in the first instance, it was just really trying to get a message across that bookings were being rejected when you're 60% full. And a lot of people didn't understand that. And the reason they didn't understand it is because they still have a full complement of reservation staff. So even though they'd sort of put on these online booking systems, which look amazing from a, a customer-facing perspective, uh, behind the scenes, they were still all sort of being manually done. They were always manually done. So why would you think they can be done differently? And it was trying to explain to them that they actually were missing out on bookings, that things could be done more efficiently, uh, and that they had a problem which they didn't fully appreciate. Yeah, and obviously the last couple of years have been challenging for, for a lot of people in the industry uh, due to COVID, um, the pandemic bringing up all sorts of issues, you know, not just you can't get people in your restaurant, but also, you know, the reopening also had its own issues that came with it. it, did, was it did that make it more challenging to pitch this to people to to invest in when, when they might have been going through harder financial um, situations themselves? If you just take it back to the basics of a restaurant, um, through the pandemic and uh, through all the labour shortages that everybody's read about in the newspaper, 
how do you convince a restaurant owner or restaurant manager to actually bring their staff in, pay extra money to do training and take them off the floor when they don't have enough staff to actually put your system in. Um, it becomes a hard sell because they really care about the short-term issues rather than you know the, what a benefits sorry what benefits may arrive after a month's time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess how did you overcome those sorts of challenges, or or has it just become easier as the reopening has has gained momentum? Well, I guess two things. Uh, obviously, it's become easy as the reopening has happened. Um, but most of our leads and our new customers uh, word of mouth from existing customers um, because then it's sort of coming from a credible source where they've experienced the difference as distinct to sort of knocking uh, and cold calling um, to someone who doesn't really appreciate that that problem that they have or the problem they don't know they have can be can be addressed. Yeah, for sure. And there's some news recently from Wiz Butler um, gaining that US patent that, that valued the business at $275 million US. What's the real world significance for that for you and the company? Is it is it just having that recognition? Is, is it something beyond that? Well, I guess from the beginning, what we wanted to do was get a product in the marketplace. Um, the paint was merely sort of protection, if I can call it that. It wasn't the end game. If it was the end game, then we just would have lodged the patent application, um, waited for the end result, and then looked to resell it. Um, but we're in, in, the, in the process for the long haul, um, and hence we've developed the software. Uh, we continue developing the software, and the whole process, is, well, the, the whole process in the end game is to get it out there and to um, you know, add some value to, to restaurants. Yeah, and just taking a step back from uh, Wiz Butler at the moment, I just wanted to get a bit more background on on your career and your experience as well. I find on this podcast that tends to be quite a good barometer for how people ended up founding a company. Uh, so we, we already spoke a bit about your, your background working in restaurant management and that sort of thing. I guess how else how, how else did your experience sort of shape you in a way that you felt confident enough to go, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to start doing this? Well, I guess... Yeah, I started in a traditional fashion, uh, finished high school, went to university, got my degree, got a master's degree, sort of started moving up the corporate ladder, um, and which is, I guess, the, the simplest and the traditional way of doing, doing things. Um, ended up being a finance director of a small airline at the age of 27, um, and then sort of stayed in aviation and travel for, for a long time. Um, ended up being the finance director of Air New Guinea and Papua New Guinea for eight years as well. Um, and sort of a year in London uh, in a travel company. And then at the end of it all, um, which had taken me away from Sydney, I decided to come back to Sydney. And instead of sort of staying in the corporate world, I guess midlife crisis, or however it's been defined in the past, I decided to do something different and uh, hence uh, ventured out and uh, started my own uh, restaurant group. Yeah, and I guess from from those experiences and now you're on the other side of it, do you, do you miss being hands-on as part of it? Do, do, do you miss running your own restaurants and that sort of thing? Well, with the software, it's also very hands-on. I mean, it's a different approach. Um, I get involved with the, the wireframing, the um, what do you call a flow charting, uh, as far as the, the scoping of the development works, 
um, from that perspective, you know, obviously staying in touch with restaurants as our customers and we go uh, into detail through that and how those restaurants can be improved. And I guess the, the thing that sort of helped me is that when I talk to a restaurant customer, I understand their problems, you know, and it's not a matter of just implementing the software within the business, but it's the right way of implementing software within their business. Um, and I see, and I think that's where it makes the difference, and that's where they sort of get um, a fair bit of mileage out of what we try to do here at Wisbutler. Yeah, and when you reflect back on some of those experiences, um, you know, in the corporate world, in in the restauranteur world, um, and then you come to your, to your company, Wiz Butler, starting from scratch. Were there any practices, whether it's I guess culturally or or business wise, that you wanted to replicate at Wiz Butler? And on the other flip side, and I find this is something that people uh, are able to answer sometimes more easily. Are there any cultural or business practices you wanted to avoid in starting your own company? I guess as far as what I learned through my corporate career, and I guess if I go back to aviation, uh, we were a small airline, so we had to think differently. We had to adapt. We had to sort of take on the big guys like Qantas um, and Ansett back here, back in the in the day. Um, so you you learn to be flexible. You didn't sort of have any fixed ideas, and you you had to be in a in a nimble company, which is what we were. And then that sort of flowed through. And that sort of helped me when I went into the restaurant environment because, again, you started looking at things differently, not necessarily the way a restaurant was run before or how someone else had done it before, but, you know, what does a customer want? Um, What's missing in the marketplace? And it's through that process that you you tend to sort of, um, I guess, find opportunities or, or seek problems that maybe someone else doesn't see. Or alternatively, when you're looking at um, solving something, you don't necessarily go down the same, you know, trodden path because if you do that, well, you've achieved nothing different anyway. So I guess what I've learned firstly is to be nimble, uh, to be flexible, always look for an alternate solution rather than what may be the common solution. Um, and then when you come back to corporate culture, it's that same thing and that same thinking process where, again, you want, you, you want everybody to think differently because if you get 10 people in the room and they all think the same, well, really, you don't need nine of them. Um, and that's that cross-fertilisation of ideas that, that makes the difference. Yeah, and that essentially leads me quite well onto my next question, which which is sort of what what have you found to be the biggest challenges in starting a company, and 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 I guess hiring the right people is 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 one of those, right? And 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 you spoke about that that whole thing of cross fertilization ideas of people thinking differently. How have you gone about the process of of trying to get the right people on board? I guess again, if I go back to my background, um, as I said, I initially became the finance director of. Uh, of a significant company when I was 27. Um, I had 130 staff working for me at that time. Now, when you're 27 years old and you've got people who are 40 and 50 years old working for you, you know, you don't lead by telling people what to do. You lead by getting in the trenches with them and showing them that you care, you understand, um, and you're in it together. Um, and then it's the same thing now uh, with the startup that everybody feels part of the team. Um, everybody is, is treated the same. Um, there is no hierarchy. Uh, there is no sort of communication channels. Everybody's door is open. Um, and it's that sort of 
whole community sort of team spirit um, that makes a difference, I believe, in any organisation. And that's the advantage I think any startup has over an existing company uh, because as time goes on, maybe you, when you get into thousands and tens of thousands of staff, well, then maybe you need to bring in these formal communication channels because you, you, you can't, you know, survive um, any other way. Yeah, and I guess outside of just the hiring, what else have been, I guess, the steepest learning curves in, in terms of getting Wiz Butler off the ground and running and where you are today? I guess how long it takes to get an idea into a practical outcome. Um, it's one thing to turn around and say, you know, we'll do something, um, and then to actually go and document it and code it and test it and make sure it works. Um, the journey is always a lot longer than what you think it is. Uh, we started this process, and I guess if you look at our patent applications, our first patent application was lodged in 2017. It took over five years just to get the, the first patent application through the door. So there's no quick, easy solution to anything, um, and you've really got to do the hard work on the hard yards to get there. Yeah, and when you, I guess you look forward at the next six to 12 months and, and then possibly even a few years down the track, what does that look like for, for you guys? Where would you like to see yourself, you know, further down the track? And, and you know, have you considered, you know, things like international expansion and, and all those sorts of things? Absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, like all the other booking systems, the, the beauty of them is that the, it's the same booking system and the same rules apply to a restaurant in, in Australia as they do in the United States, as they do in the United Kingdom. Um, the, the customers still have the same expectations. So in many ways, the only barriers we have to expanding overseas is really just changing the, the software to show different currency um, and a different uh, GST if applicable. Um, and that's for sort of the English-speaking uh, world. And then for the other countries, it's merely just a, a translation of language as distinct to a translation of, um, you know, any, any coding or any algorithms or formulas or anything else. So it becomes a pretty simple um, exercise to, to take the product overseas and absolutely that's where our focus will be uh, within the next 12 months. Yeah, definitely. And I, I sort of just wanted to ask you a bit, little bit of a side question um, just sort of for my own personal interest, but we're, we're seeing the the obviously Australian restaurants seem really rebound, but, but obviously problems still exist. Um, talent shortages are still happening, even though, you know, we're seeing um, people coming from overseas to work here now. What do you think what some of the biggest challenges that the industry itself faces over the next, um, the next few years, sort of trying to get back to where it was and that sort of thing? What sort of happened with COVID is that a lot of the uh, experienced people and professionals um, went out and explored and, you know, changing their careers um, retrain themselves and now re-established in, in other uh, fields. And now with the wave of people that you're getting in, they don't have the same experience. They don't have the same knowledge and they have the same background. So therefore, it's no longer a matter of replacing one with one. Potentially, you need to replace one with two uh, because they don't have that background. Um, so I think it'll take a, a while until now the new people in hospitality are trained um, but uh, I guess more importantly, I see technology playing a far bigger part in all restaurants. 
Um, we're sort of getting these pockets happening because you're getting better booking systems. You know, you're getting ordering systems. Um, you know, there's different ways of paying and um, the docket's going into the kitchen. Um, the recent introduction of robotics, where you're sort of having a little robotic way to bring out your food. Um, I think all of, the, all of these things will now come together and you'll see a huge, huge shift um, to more technology and people then having to upskill themselves to be able to manage this technology. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where the industry goes. And and just to my final question, which is the namesake for this podcast, which is the silver bullet. Um, so the question being, if you had to put it down to a few things, what would be your silver bullet for business success? And just as a bit of background, you know, it doesn't even have to be something that's related to a business practice. Quite often people come on here and say it's going for a surf in the morning or or a mindset or a philosophy. Um, but if you had to put it down to a few things that have, you know, helped, I guess, helped you get to where you are today, um, what would you put that down to? Look, if I could quote Steve Jobs um, and his approach going back, it's just think different. Um, it's that thinking different that makes you stand out in the crowd. It's that thinking different um, that allows you to, you know, to, to take on challenges. Um, thinking better do, won't cut the mustard. Um, it's not enough to make a difference. And I guess, you know, even if you're talking about, you know, when you go for a run in the morning or whatever you're doing, um, in your relaxation or whether you're meditating, um, I still think it's that process. If you've got some time to yourself, think different. Um, you'll look at the problem differently and um, you'll probably amaze yourself as to, you know, what you come up with. Yeah, it's a great way of thinking about it. Uh, anyway, Peter Petroulis, founder and CEO of Wiz Butler, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for your time. Appreciate being here.